Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. You know you're welcome here anytime. You know that. Yes, yes. When you did uh, Emma, I was tickled. And then when you did Colby, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Uh, at some point, I figured you was going to go through the whole roster of McLean's like alphabetically. You know, I would be, I'd be second last if Antonio Zabrisius was working with us. But uh, That's all it took was two other McLean staffers for you to get jealous? I mean, yeah. I think it's good to have a low threshold of, of woundedness. Uh, Paul Wells, uh, welcome to Canada Land Shortcuts. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Matt LaForge, Sean Price, Yvonne Haste, Andrei Opria, Adam Deutsch, Ryan Belleville, Greg Elmer, Pascal Yard, Pamela Allard, and Craig Schlegelmilch. Craig, why did you decide to be awesome? Because I, I'm starting to become more and more concerned with the uh, monopolization of of media here in Canada, and I, I don't see anybody else doing what Jesse's doing. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is also brought to you by our original sponsor, FreshBooks, the cloud accounting, easy-to-use invoicing solution designed for freelancers and small business owners like Kent Plummer. I asked Kent what kind of business he runs. So I have a business called Ozenden Creative, and so we do videos for um, clients like The Body Shop and uh, the Toronto Humane Society and some of the charity we do stuff with and then uh, some more corporate things. I also asked Kent what his favorite FreshBooks feature is. 
Yeah, my favorite feature is using the mobile app. We um, were shooting a commercial in West Africa in October, and they wanted us to do some extra things. And because I had my phone with me, I was able to just send them an invoice right away. FreshBooks is a great option for small businesses, entrepreneurs who want to have all the offerings that an accounting department offers, but being able to manage it yourself. I use FreshBooks. If you want to try it out for yourself, go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand, and you can do so for free for 30 days. Tell them who sent you. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction, and build hope. Stephen Harper now has the backing of the House of Commons to send Canadian fighter jets over Syria to bomb ISIS. Peter, a senior government source, says Canada could begin bombing ISIS in Syria within a day or two. But just what are we getting into? The Syrian civil war is very complex. The defense minister has said one thing. The ultimate objective, of course, is to defeat this organization. But the prime minister isn't going quite that far. I would... Hope we will continue to degrade this organization so that its capacity to strike outside of the region continues to diminish. The government has committed to fighting for one more year, but everyone seems to agree that whatever Canada wants to do to ISIS, whether it's degrade or defeat it, it's going to take longer. We asked the Prime Minister for his estimate today, and he said he wouldn't put a timeline on it. Paul, I've never had too many kind things to say about CBC's The National, but I can't find too much fault with that report. Um, you know, war without end. They asked all the right questions. Uh, is it is it credible that this is going to take a year? No, it doesn't sound like it. What's the exit strategy? The, the complexity of the situation in Syria? Are we stepping into a quagmire? I think they about covered it. 
Yeah. Well, those are all the questions you would ask. I mean, the, uh, are we stepping into a quagmire? Should be it should be a macro on 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 reporters' keyboards every time we uh, walk into a shooting war because be, because the answer is almost axiomatically yes. Wars really suck, and they almost always work out better. It's actually, I mean, I've read a little bit in military doctrine. It's actually something that generals tell themselves is that the battle plan never survives contact with the enemy. Or as Mike Tyson used to put it, everyone's got a plan until he gets hit in the face. Uh, and and, and that's, what we, that's what we've already found in Iraq uh, on this go-round and what we're likely to find more of. Um, the, the basic question is, are you the kind of person who is willing to pay that sort of cost because you think there's some higher objective? Or are you the kind of person who thinks that kind of cost is never worth paying because it never leads to a, a better solution. And that's that's basically the division line in this debate. I think I'm, I'm sort of the worst kind of person in this debate. And I think that in being the worst kind of person, I, I represent a lot of people. We'll, we'll, we'll play with that theory for a minute. <laughs> like, I think that, I, you know, I have this attitude of like, yeah, I think we probably are. I'm really skeptical of this mission. I also worry about this sort of just keeping Canada high on the list of jihadist uh, targets. And yet, you know, and, and I think that anyone on the right would say or anybody who's hawkish about this conflict would say, well, that's just the reflexive response you're going to have to any kind of military in- intervention that Canada gets involved in. And they're probably right. And then people on the left would have a valid criticism against me in that I'm not really planning to do anything about my skepticism. It's not really a pivotal voting issue for me. It's not something I'm going to get active about. Uh, I feel like we've just sort of been through the script before. The same way that the reports on the CBC just feel like, you know, you could almost like just insert Afghanistan in there, it, you know, or if it's an American report on Iraq, it, it just feels like the same thing again and again. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, the, the NDP is just – there, there there's never going to be an armed intervention the NDP is really fond of, you know. And it is true that uh, Stephen Harper has almost never seen an armed intervention that, that was proposed for Canadian forces that he didn't like. He was a big fan of George W. Bush's Gulf War. And uh, he wrote to the Wall Street Journal to apologize for our not participating in it, you know. Uh, And in between are the liberals who are sometimes the most annoying of all, because I'm almost certain that Justin Trudeau got some advice from Jean Chrétien, and Chrétien would have told him something along the lines of, you're against it in opposition, and then you do it if you have to in government, you know, because that was Chrétien's record. In the, 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 the primeval Gulf War in 1991, uh, George, w, George W. Bush's father was the president then, uh, Kretchen's position as liberal opposition leader was send troops over and then if there's fighting, bring them home. Uh, and he, he got almost laughed out of court for that. Then he becomes prime minister and uh, he followed Bill Clinton in almost every adventure that Clinton had, Kosovo and, and, and the various uh, um, uh, interventions around the collapsing Yugoslavia. And then Kretchen ordered the largest Canadian military deployment since Korea in Afghanistan. And it wasn't until... W came along with his Iraq war that Kretchen finally found something that he that, that that even he would say no to. And 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 I think that was Trudeau's plan is that you be the pacifist in opposition and then if you you know if you've got to go along to get along and 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 if the Brits and the French and and a popular American president are doing something well then that's fine later, you know. And so you've got the NDP are now always it's like the three little pigs. The NDP are always against it, the conservatives are just basically always for it. And the liberals are wildly opportunistic. Well, what's the media's role in this? Because, like, it's kind of a big deal. Like, we sort of just declared war on Syria, and yet it, it just feels like this rote, you know, uh, you know, news by numbers kind of formula all over again. Well, the media's role is, is plural. I mean, we have various different ways to go at it. Uh, I mean, I like to think my own role is to provide that sort of 
medium-term historical context to remind people that when Trudeau acts this way, that Gretchen acted that way, and to tell people this is like almost every time someone says something is unprecedented, uh, my teeth start to hurt and I, I start to look for the precedent. And there almost always is one. And then other reporters, uh, Glenn McGregor and Dave Puglesi at the Ottawa Citizen, have covered themselves in glory in the last little while by, by fact-checking the, state, the statements made by the new defense minister, Jason Kenney, and pointing out that a lot of these statements don't hold up. When the matter is grave, when you're going through the exercise of, of, of seeking parliamentary approval, when you're submitting to questions from opposition and from, and from reporters, and you're purporting to say, this is why we're doing it, you should kind of say why you're doing it and, and, and kind of get it right. And Jason Kenney's had a lousy month at that. And, and, and some of my colleagues have been very good at pointing that out. See, I missed this entirely. What did they get Kenny on? Uh, well, golly, the big one is that he said, uh, we're, we have to go into Syria because uh, apart from the Americans, we're the only uh, country that has this, the guided munitions that would allow us to, uh, to, 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 to hit targets in Syria. And then uh, Dave Puglesi, the uh, veteran uh, defense reporter for the Ottawa Citizen, said, well, no, there's you're not the only Canada's not the only country with guided munitions. Uh, uh, some of the Middle Eastern countries in the in, in the region have the same munitions. And then uh, Kenny got the chief of defense staff, uh, General Lawson, to say, yeah, but Canada was the only one that is willing to use it. And then Puglesi came back and said, well, no, there's other countries that have been willing to use their guided munitions in Syrian airspace in this cycle of belligerence. And then finally, on April 1st, on on, on um on Wednesday morning, the chief of defense staff came back and said, well, look, actually, none of what we've been saying that the reporter got wrong was wrong. Everything the reporter has reported was accurate. And uh, we're awful sorry that we you know, pretended to contradict them. Well, hell, remember that this started with Kenny saying, this is the reason we're going into Syria. And, yeah. and then he gave a reason that isn't true. Right. <laughs> so, you know. And then he, he said that uh, Canadian ships were buzzed by Soviet fighters when, in fact, some Soviet fighter or Soviet, some Russian fighters. And, and in fact, Russian fighters flew over um, uh, the ships, but, but nobody in the theater, nobody, nobody on that ship or, or in surrounding ships was surprised or put out by the uh, presence of some Russian uh, fighters. And so buzzing is an awfully odd ch- choice of verb, you know. And there, there have been other cases where... Uh, Kenny likes to sort of live large. He's, uh, he's, he, he likes to uh, um, cut a dashing figure as a politician. Talk a lot, uh, be bold, uh, get up in, 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 the, in the face of his opponents and so on. And he's had a lot of fun doing that as defense minister, except he's, he finds himself stay, saying things that aren't true about uh, matters of life and death. And then trying to bully the reporters who report that, it, that he said it, uh, untrue things and, uh, and losing those confrontations. I think he's had the, the worst two or three weeks of his career in politics. I guess I'm curious uh, how much of it's going to stick. I mean, you know, it, it, there's almost a, it's, it's the same kind of apathy. I hope I'm not just sort of projecting my own apathy onto others, but it's, you know, reminiscent of, you know, Colin Powell's case or the Gulf of Tonkin. I mean, you know, you know, uh, George Bush, the elder with the, uh, the, the the babies, the politically staged Hill and Knowlton, you know, justifications for war. It's just obvious when there's political will for whatever reason that, that you know, they're building a narrative and. I, I, I think that as soon as they remove the draft from the equation, people are just kind of uh, happy to go along to a certain extent with anything. Well, and, and on the other side of it, I mean, Justin or, or uh, Tom Mulcair, the, the actual opposition leader, uh, 
his lawyer stick gets a little gets a little tiresome. Uh, his his attempt to sort of Jesuitically parse every comma of of what the government says. Uh, as though this was a tidy matter that you could package concisely as uh, um, you know true or false. When there's a reason why there's a term fog of war, it's a hel- it's a hellacious situation. Um, I think Mulcair actually comes across looking more naive, not more sophisticated, when he tries to do his lawyer shtick in the House of Commons on these things. I mean, you know, everyone knows it's it's a mess. Everyone knows it's tentative. It's it's a it's a very Barack Obama led kind of exercise where. When Obama uses military force, he always seeks to use as little as possible at first and then ramp it up as time goes on rather than to go in great guns like his predecessor. And um, and so the, the the whole coalition in Iraq and Syria is doing the same thing. We're, there is no exit strategy because there's barely an entrance strategy. I mean, sometimes I think that on all sides, this debate is not up to the, the, the richness and weirdness of the actual situation. We're, we're, we're trying to debate this as though it was a classic industrial war of the, of the 50s or 60s or 70s, and it, and, it, and it really ain't. The RCMP has laid a total of 31 charges against Mr. Duffy as for directly or indirectly, corruptly accept, obtain, agree to accept or attempt to obtain for himself money in the sum of $90,000 from Mr. Nigel Wright. Mr. Duffy has been charged with one count each of bribery of a judicial officer, frauds on the government, and breach of trust. Paul, uh... You know, largely what Duffy's going to be on trial for are expense violations to these arcane expense rules, which is going to be super fun, I guess, to uh, to watch. But but you know, I think the, the the thing that everyone's curious about is this bribery charge. How do you charge a guy for taking a bribe when you've exonerated the guy who gave the bribe? This is why I didn't go to law school. It, it is we were talking about it in the office this morning, and some of my colleagues were like, still. Yet unable to kind of wrap their head around it. I mean, not only that, not only that Duffy um, took a bribe that had to come from somewhere, but that the person it came from, Nigel Wright, conceived of the whole scheme. Like, it, it wasn't it wasn't that Duffy came up and said, "Look, Nigel, uh, you're a rich guy. You can help me out." It was that Wright, who was plainly by the by the available testimony from the police investigation, just increasingly frustrated and aghast at the whole business, finally said. Look, I can settle this. I can pay the guy the money that's owing. There's a there's a quote in the police uh, memo from last year where where Wright says something like, "And our torture will end." I mean, you know, Wright was was plainly willing to do anything to make it stop. And it's a fair question to ask: Why is that not a problem? But Duffy taking the money that was offered to him is a problem. I, I assume that that will be aired out kind of exhaustively in the testimony. Am I some crazy conspiracy theorist, theorist in su- suggesting or wondering that maybe the reason why charges were pressed were laid against Duffy and not right is because one is the enemy of the prime minister and, and one uh, is not? And in fact, there's a real problem for the prime minister if Nigel Wright was charged with bribery? I honestly, uh, and maybe I'm super naive, I have a hard time believing that that's that those are the calculations that go on you know, in the RCMP, that that uh, oh well, we can't uh, we can't lift a finger against uh, Nigel Wright because his friend is the prime minister. You know, I, I mean, I guess, and my, the only reason that I'm reluctant to think that is that that way lies madness. You know. <laughs> 
but but it's not it's not like I'm I'm asserting that on a, on a neutral situation. There's there's a bribe. Somebody gave the bribe. Somebody took the bribe. One person is charged. The other person isn't. You know that 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 happened. There are though other ch- other charges that that uh, Duffy's facing. He he seems to have gotten himself into several different flavors of trouble, and so that might also help to explain it. You know. Yeah, uh, J- John Barber wrote wrote. <laughs> A characteristically incendiary piece, uh, you know, saying that what's going to happen looking forward to the coverage of this uh, is that, you know, as this trial spools out, the rest of us will be left wondering why this country remains so pathetically incapable of staging a decent political scandal. What do you think? I mean, you know, usually you get really hot takes on the news on shortcuts. This is like a future take. It hasn't happened yet. But people who are watching this, are we going to be like buried in procedural Senate nonsense about uh, expense uh, 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 regulations of which we're already being buried because there's these leaks about other senators, you know, the same violations from liberal senators. And I mean, who cares? Nobody has that much uh, concern or respect for the Senate anyhow, these honorary placements. Or are we going to get what I want to see? Is Duffy going to take a flamethrower to the whole thing? Is is Does he have this evidence that he's been promising? This His lawyer said he's got – it's the tip of a big evidentiary iceberg. Is that going to happen? I think that Duffy intends to demonstrate that he is the uh, singular victim of a vast conspiracy to uh, to denigrate his character, um, uh, he'll have a, he'll have a harder and harder. Well, I mean, I was going to say he's going to have a harder and harder time um, maintaining that if more and more evidence of other senators uh, spending like drunken sailors comes out. But actually, no that 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 kind of reinforces Duffy's case, doesn't it? I mean, Bob Fife on CTV talked about uh, some senator so far unnamed who apparently owes the um, the government one hundred thousand dollars in uh, in improperly claimed expenses. You know, if there's a, if there's a few cases like that, then Duffy will have more and more strength when he says, "Well, why am I the only guy who's in trouble here?" But I don't think I, I think there's going to be an awful lot of dry procedural stuff and meticulous walks through the regulations and so on. But I think we're also going to get really juicy sort of. I can't believe that he claimed like that. He was living in Ottawa and claiming expenses for being in Ottawa. He was claiming to live in Prince Edward Island, but no one ever saw him in his house in Prince Edward Island. We're going to get a lot of that stuff, too. There's been some talk uh, amongst journalists on Twitter this morning that, you know, the press is getting spun, that these leaks are no accident. It's strategic and that, you know, there's an effort being made to distract us and, you know, put some stink on the liberals. Like, Is is that happening? Is that just obvious to you? Well, it could be. Um, But again, I, uh, you know, if I'm the government and I'm leaking, I'm leaking that uh, actually, all, all kinds of senators are are, uh, are really lousy. I'm not sure I'm helping my case that much. I mean, Stephen Harper campaigned on promises to clean this place up. He campaigned on promises to get rid of appointed senators. You know, to say, look, my mess is bigger than Mike Duffy is not really uh, A1 spin as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> The, uh, the I guess the big question beyond this just being like pretend, e- either very boring or a lot of fun if Duffy really goes to town, the, the, you know, the question here that's always bothered me about this is I can't imagine in, in like say the states if the chief of staff were to give a $90,000 check to a senator that was later considered a bribe and there were criminal charges, like the president would have to at least give a full account of his knowledge. And I don't think that Harper has, has – he has yet to actually give a full account of what he knew when. Is there any chance uh, that, that that's going to come out in the wash here? Not in the sense of the prime minister releasing an affidavit in which he uh, gives 20 pages of his side of things. That's not the way this guy rolls. Uh, Harper is a, a, a sort of an amateur student of game theory 
And uh, he has spent his entire career trying to set up games of asymmetrical information where his opponents know almost nothing about what he's doing and where he knows as much as possible about his opponents. And he certainly counts us in the press as his opponents. He has never believed that he gets ahead by explaining himself. Uh, and uh, certainly not when he's in the kind of trouble that uh, that he got in over the Duffy thing. <laughs> Finally, Paul, you spent uh, a lot of time covering Ottawa, and anybody uh, I've spoken to who's done the same has a lot to tell me about Duffy, not much that they'll tell me on the record. Is there anything what, – what, what can you tell me about this guy? Because he has a reputation. I mean, I, I, I know things that I can't say, or I've been told things that I can't say. What can you say about Mike Duffy? Well – Increasingly, I feel like I should begin by saying I owe this guy a lot in my own career. I came to Ottawa as a young reporter for the Montreal Gazette. I was not yet 30. And the first guy who put me on TV on the Sunday show that he had at the time was Mike Duffy. He saw me as some sort of, some sort of cocky voice of the rising generation. Uh, he, he tried to cast me in a sort of a tax-weary Ezra Levant mold. And for reasons that won't surprise Ezra, I didn't feel like playing. Um, but... But, you know, he, he did a lot to raise my profile around town. And um, but but, you know, the temptation to coast in this line of work is 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 considerable. And increasingly, he uh, uh, seemed to spend an awful lot more time kind of at highs after work than he did trying to uh, dig up new information. And um, I actually thought at one point that getting assigned to the, uh, appointed to the Senate was good for him, good for his health. Because when you're in the Senate, even if you're the celebrity TV senator, you've actually got to show up for morning meetings. You've actually got to schlep around the hill and, and, and go from point A to point B. And uh, he, he must have lost 30 pounds because it's actually a lot harder to be a senator than it is to be uh, a marquee uh, TV commentator. And uh, I, I was feeling pretty good about him being in the Senate for his own good for a while. And then all this crazy stuff happened. And uh, I want justice to be done. And uh, I won't shed a tear if it doesn't go Duffy's way, but I remember that he was actually a pretty good guy to me. Paul, I'm going to take a minute to update everybody on uh, what we've posted on the website this week. This uh, this HBO documentary, you heard of this one, uh, Going Clear on Scientology? Oh, yeah. I'm really curious about that. Well, it mysteriously was not broadcast on HBO Canada and uh, also an episode of Bill Maher's Real Time, also an HBO show, in which uh, Bill Maher had on his panel the author of the book Going Clear, the documentary is based on. That also was not broadcast in Canada. And, and Real Time with Bill Maher is carried by HBO Canada, but that episode was not uh, broadcast. Um, and, you know, the book itself was never published in Canada. So we looked into all of that and we have some answers about it if people are curious and they can check that out at canadalandshow.com. Uh, today, when this uh, podcast is posted Thursday, we will be posting a piece by the last mainstream media critic in Canada, who you mentioned earlier, Antonia Zerbisius. Uh, she wrote for the Toronto Star for a number of years about the media, and she uh, she wrote a piece for us about what her job was like before the Canadian media became so consolidated and corporate and vertically integrated. And she also tells why she will never do media criticism again. Uh, and finally, uh, there is a, a quick post that we put up about the next thing that you and I will talk about, Paul. Journalist Laura Robinson and the person whose voice uh, everyone will hear next, and that person is John Furlong. Yesterday, um, an almost unimaginable nightmare uh, that my family and I have endured for years finally ended. Three civil cases that three First Nations individuals launched by making false, horrible, hurtful, and highly damaging allegations against me, inflicting deep and lasting pain have now either been abandoned by them or dismissed with costs by the BC Supreme Court. I am a very 
private person, as you all know. Therefore, I am announcing today the end of my defamation lawsuit against Laura Robinson. I launched that lawsuit after she published allegations and lies about me in articles she wrote or advanced by other means in the face of repeated legal warnings. Given these three positive court outcomes, the lawsuit is no longer necessary for me to achieve vindication or innocence. All right, Paul, uh, like th- that is such an extraordinary statement. What, what Furlong was saying at his press conference, three civil suits against him were dropped and, you know, the, the people who were charging him, uh, some of them didn't show up. And there's all these people are from backgrounds. There's you know cr- uh, criminal charges uh, in, in their in their histories and uh, substance abuse, all sorts of problems like that. And their suits didn't work out. Those suits were not reported on. They were not a part of Laura Robinson's investigation of John Furlong. And so those suits get thrown out of court. And he says, "Well, this clearly proves that I'm innocent, and I'm dropping this suit against Laura Robinson, which she's had to pay two hundred fifty thousand dollars defending herself for this piece of journalism, which has nothing to do with these three cases." And here's how, here's how the media covered that, you know, him saying, well, this vindicates me. Huffington Post tweeted their article uh, with the, the headline, John Furlong wishes inner peace to false sex abuse accusers. The Canadian press just took their headline from his quote, uh, former Olympics boss Furlong says, long nightmare is over. And, and your publication, McLean's, uh, they tweeted their piece with uh, the, the sentence, John Furlong has cleared his name. Now, John Furlong stands accused by uh, eight people in Burns Lake uh, who signed sworn affidavits saying that he beat them as children when he was a teacher at a Catholic school, an almost all Aboriginal Catholic school. And there are over 45 witnesses, Laura Robinson has, who say that he either abused them or they were witnesses to abuse. So in, on what planet? He has cleared his name and why the media would credulously parrot his defense of himself. And and let's remember, in dropping this charge against Laura Robinson, he will not have to go and actually prove that what she wrote about him is untrue. Yeah. So uh, and and this is why I believe she's continuing to pursue her suit against him, because uh, she she figures that she had a point in in saying what she uh, what she did. Um, uh, there's a few things going on here. First of all, John John Furlong is a very well-connected guy. And uh, just about everyone on the planet went to Van- Vancouver to cover the Olympic Games that he ran. And, and uh, uh, you know, among among reporters who were closer to him, there was a there's a um, uh, the kind of comfortable relationship that often develops between reporters and, and consistent uh, sources or subjects of coverage and all that. And then there's what uh, Tom Wolfe used to call the press as perfect gentlemen. There's, it's it's very common for the for journalists to go beyond the role of of simply um, uh, reporting the facts. And the facts here are that these three lawsuits against him were concluded in a way that was not unfavorable to him. We have an obligation to say that. But to say, well, the poor man, he's been through so much. That's that 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 adds a layer of drama that is uh, a little cheap, and that. Uh, you know, is not is not supported by the facts. And uh, the most extraordinary example is Gary Mason in the Globe and Mail uh, writing, you know, that uh, we may never understand the toll that it took on John Furlong, but we can imagine uh, one minute he was the hero. And he goes on and on and on. And then halfway through, Gary Mason acknowledges that he was the ghostwriter for Furlong's memoir. 
and incidentally gets the title of the memoir that he ghost wrote wrong, which gives an indication of what care he took in preparing that book. It's funny that court cases are so dramatic that there's something in a lot of us uh, reporters that makes us want to kick in an extra layer of drama as though the facts weren't enough. And, and this, uh, this notion that uh, we have to go up and hug the guy after the, after the suit's over, that's, um, uh, well, it's hard to justify. I, I, I got to tell you, I'm just sick about the whole thing. I mean, that, that uh, Globe and Mail op-ed, you know, this is, this is the co-author of his biography in which Furlong says that he came to Canada five years after Laura Robinson was able to – I mean, I have no idea if Furlong is guilty of these abuse claims. I do know that he completely misrepresented when he first came to Canada and misrepresented that to his co-author who wrote that editorial in the Globe and Mail, which the Globe and Mail just, just published. And I know that none of these reports, when people are following up on this press conference of Furlong's, nobody went to Burns Lake to ask – Ronnie Alec or Kathy Woodgate or Richard Perry or Paul Joseph or any of these people who said that when they were children, John Furlong beat them in front of their peers or in the furnace room, that he punched them in the back of the head until they were unconscious. These are people who, who, who you know, from a community where some, some of the people who um, witnesses say were abused have, have since committed suicide. I have no idea if these claims are correct, but I, I, and maybe I'm a little bit too, too involved in this because this is my nightmare scenario. If, you know, this is what, what happened to Laura Robinson is what I was afraid might have happened to me in, in pursuing the Gameshi story. And I'm also, I'm also afraid that if a handful of people are unable to get a conviction with Gameshi uh, for, you know, sexual abuse charges that are incredibly hard to prove, will he, and, and, you know, invariably I'm sure he'll claim vindication. Will the press just take that as – I mean, there's over like 15 women who, who have claims against Gameshi. And not all of them are willing to subject that to a, you know, a courtroom process. You know, will, will the press say, well, here, here's an innocent man if, just, if a conviction is, is, uh, is not in the works? I mean, this is really concerning stuff. And I think it's, it's particularly concerning to us as journalists. Laura Robinson, you know, like our community, I think it's shameful the way that, that journalism turned it, uh, its back on her. What she did in getting, you know, over 45 witnesses, eight sworn affidavits, she, she traveled to Ireland to, to um, document Furlong's past. She did her job and we have to ask ourselves, can we publish credible allegations or not? She doesn't know if he's guilty or not, but can she publish that? And, and if there's a lawsuit that now looks like, you know, he, he's not willing to actually see it through, what do we have to say about that? So the first thing is I think we have to keep continu- continuing to cover uh, her suit against him. Secondly, it's a fair question, and it's actually it's a lurid and kind of horrible question. If the the the, the suits against Gian Gomeshi failed uh, a legal test at some point, are we going to pick up the Globe and Mail someday and read a, a, a an op ed by Gian Gomeshi's memoir writer, which says we may never understand the, the toll it took on Gian Gomeshi, but we can imagine. One minute you're a hero, and then, then the violins kick in, and yeah, that's a fair question. Um, uh, and 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 again, I think the, the 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 minimum obligation on those of us who cover these things is to uh, stick to the facts that have been established and not try and lard on the drama. It's funny in that memoir. There's uh, Furlong's account or Furlong and Mason's account of the only time I was ever in a room with Furlong. During the Olympics in Vancouver in 2010, he had a little run-in with a reporter from La Presse who was upset about the lack of French at the uh, opening ceremonies. And I remember that press conference pretty well. And, and, and Furlong's account of that moment, that trivial moment compared to all these other allegations in his memoir, 
doesn't come anywhere close to an accurate depiction of that confrontation at that press conference. And while he's while he's getting it wrong and making himself look better and the press reporter look worse than actually happened, he makes a point of saying, I chose to take the high road, which is a bit rich. So I've had a tiny little asterisk next to the guy's name ever since that uh, ever since that moment. And uh, and it and it and it casts my appreciation of these much more important recent events in a certain light. Well, you know, I, I, I think that everybody is really, really concerned about the idea of an innocent man falsely accused. I don't know how you get 45 people to make false allegations. I don't know that he's guilty, but I, I, I just – if he wants exoneration of vindication, I think he's got to talk to his accusers. I think he's got to take this head on and, and, and we haven't seen that yet. Um, but I but I hope that people are going to follow. Uh, you know, I hope that a lot of the journalists listening to this are going to follow Laura Robinson's uh, enduring libel suit against him with the same interest that they follow the charges against against John Furlong. I think that's a perfectly fair thing to expect. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you liked it. You can always email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca. I read everything you send in. I respond when I can. I'm on Twitter at jessebrown. Paul, where can people find you? Uh, Inkless PW on Twitter. More often than I'm anywhere else. The website is canadalandshow.com. The crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. I make this show with Katie Jensen. And the next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. If you like this show, support it. Hey, congratulations on being a legitimate news organization, crowdfunded no less. I'm not sure about the legitimacy, but uh, we exist, so thank you very much. There you go.